You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. All right, well, you should have the notes for the lesson in your little handout there. It'll save you from writing. Uh, thank you so much. Gosh, it's really cool to look back at, at last year. Uh, you blink and it just goes by. Uh, so a lot of cool things, a lot of cool victories. A lot of people become, have become Christians uh, even in this last year as well. So that's super exciting uh, just to see what God is doing. Uh, super feel bonded to you guys uh, from Orange County. That's why whenever I go, I just say, hey, I'm going to Coastal tomorrow night. And usually I have a car full of guys that that are willing to come up uh, and and join with you guys as well because it has been a great partnership over the years doing catalyst retreats and doing things together. Um, So let's go ahead because I know we've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Let's get into the lesson. Uh, One cool thing at the end of this last year is our daughter Katie was baptized into Christ. Uh, She is a, a freshman at El Toro High School and uh, she was born when we were uh, serving uh, in Beirut, Lebanon. So she's born in Beirut. That uh, she, You can't see her shirt, but she was wearing the Lebanon uh, international soccer team jersey for her baptism. So uh, it was just super exciting uh, for us. I know my wife kind of looks like she's photobombing. She's definitely been involved in our family for the last 14 years. I don't know. She probably didn't get enough credit in the picture. I'm I seem kind of predominant in the, in the pr- picture, but I promise you uh, she's the brains behind the operation. Um, so, yeah, let's go through these core values. We've got a point for each one. Uh, you matter to God, reach up. You belong here, reach in. You are essential to the mission of Christ. So we're starting off 2015 with these three concepts, which are basically God, the church, and the lost. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a workshop before, uh, but the graphics may have been different, and it may have been worded a little bit differently, but my guess is some of you who have, uh, I don't know if it's a spiritual gift, I have it in spades, so I wish it were, but the gift of cynicism. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, so God, the church, and the lost to start the year off. Woo, wow, that... That really took some planning and some insight and a brainstorming session to come up with God, our relationships in the church, and outreach to the lost. And to those cynics, I would say to you, well, my feeling is that Satan has probably a workshop every year as well. And he's not very creative either. And his plan each and every year is a three-point plan. He is about steal, kill, and destroy. And that's his plan for you. That's his plan for this ministry. That's his plan for this church. That's his plan for anyone who wants to reach out to God, who wants to stay faithful to the body of Christ, and certainly to reach out to the lost. He wants to take away all of that. So whether it's creative or not, I have a feeling that for the rest of our lives, we're going to be working on our relationship with God, trying to figure out how to get along with each other, and trying to work up the courage to open our mouth to the guy in line with us in Starbucks. That's about the plan until you see God, right? So, uh, you matter to God. Let's start there. 
Why should we struggle with this? Why should this be a dilemma? I mean, isn't there an understanding that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son? Right? It is not the Bible all about God's love for us? Why should we struggle with this? You know, in Ephesians 5, it paints the picture of our relationship with God, and it does use a husband and a wife as an example. And he really is, Paul is saying, I'm not actually even talking about marriage. I'm talking about the mystery of Christ and the church. And he says that we, as the bride of Christ, play the feminine role in this relationship. And that Christ is the husband, the provider. Well, I would be willing to guess that if you have been married or are married, as a woman, you are prone, I'm going to stereotype now, to feel unloved. You don't even need, you know, your cup it just gets empty no matter what. And the guys are frustrated with this, like, you know... Did you not see? I deposited the paycheck. I mean, I, there's food on the table. We have a home. Uh, you know, I married you, didn't I? You know, I mean, we're like, do we not get credit for some of the big things that we've done? You know, why is it that each and every day a woman feels prone and looks for confirmation that, ah, see, I'm not loved? And I think that's what we can struggle with as a church, as, as a Christian. It doesn't take God. I'm sure God's like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Like the Jesus, that my only son. I mean, I'm, didn't I? And yet we struggle with, does God love me? Does God, do I matter to God? And, you know, I think we could look at, I'm sure God, he, he certainly fulfills the husband role of providing for us, right? We have food, we have clothes. Paul says, you know, we've got to learn the secret of being content, whether you had a good year, rough year, great situation, whether in plenty or in want. God is providing for us. But what's interesting is when we look at the birds, we see that it's more than just survival that God provides, and God, ta- Jesus talked about the birds a few different times, so we're going to talk about them. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. Life's more important than food, and the body is more important than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And I think, again, part of this is, you know, do you realize how much more God does than just feed the birds? (laughs) Uh, Jesus is trying to teach us a lesson that he is able to provide for us. But the thing is, is he does so much more than just provide for our, quote unquote, survival needs. The problem is, I think we don't actually even perceive All that God is doing to communicate his love for us, which is why we struggle with feeling validated or valuable, because I think we can probably sense that God loves the world and God sent Jesus to die. Yes, corporately, God loves us, but you as an individual sensing God's provision and love 
for your life. So I want to take a deeper look at birds for a minute. If you have kids, a lot of you do, uh, you watch a lot of animated and a lot of nature shows. You've seen many animals killed, slaughtered, and eaten, and it's good times in these nature shows. Uh, So we're going to watch a nature video about the birds. And I... It's a, it's a faith-based video, and what it's doing is it's going into the fact that it's not that God just provides a worm every now and then to keep this bird alive. If the bird had any idea all that God did to design this bird for life and flight, it would blow its little bird brain up. <laughs> and in the same way, if, if we could perceive what God has done to provide for us It would blow our minds. So let's watch and learn from the birds. Birds are among the most captivating creatures on earth. We marvel at their spectacular colors, their streamlined shapes, and their ability to fly with grace and ease. For centuries, man attempted to imitate the flight of a bird. It was only in the 20th century that he succeeded in controlled flight. To this day, in order to improve the aerodynamics of the plane, man will return to study God's marvelous avian design. Consider some of the Creator's design features. A bird's bones are lightweight and virtually hollow. They're supported inside by struts and honeycombed with air sacs. These lightweight bones are designed so efficiently for flight that the bird's feathers usually weigh more than its entire skeleton. Even its beak is designed to save weight, made of lightweight horn rather than heavy bone. Birds also have two strong sets of breast muscles a large set to control the wing's downstrokes and a smaller set to control the upstrokes. And only birds have been created with feathers. Feathers insulate the bird from the sun's heat, protect it from the cold, waterproof the body, and create wing and tail surfaces necessary for flight. Each feather is connected to a nerve and controlled by a muscle. This precision muscular control helps the bird balance in the air, steer, and brake when slowing down to land. Birds, they're just truly spectacularly amazing. Uh, They're well known, of course, for the feather, which is a masterpiece of strength and lightness combined in one thing. They have a little system of barbs, barbules, kind of like hooks and eyelets and Velcro that can zipper together uh, the little feathers that stick out from the main shaft and they can take their bill and zipper them and unzipper them as they oil their feathers and each feather along the length of the wing uh, has a slightly different size and shape that's coordinated with all of the others another essential element to bird flight is the air-filled bags that lie between the bird's organs. 
The bird's air sacs are connected to its lungs, and during flight, air flows through them. This arrangement rapidly feeds the bird's body tissues with life-supporting oxygen while keeping it light in the air. All birds are amazing. You know, they have a, a, a system of breathing that's not found in any other creature. The bird lung uh, is a special double-tied system where you can oxygenate air both inhaling and exhaling. Unlike our lungs or the lungs of any other creature, the bird lung has back doors. And it turns out that this is important. Birds do not change the shape of their chest cavity when they breathe. You know, if you saw a bird just land from a thousand mile migration, just, just landed, would you see the chest heave as he breathed? They are stone still, no matter how hard they've been flying, you think, how do they breathe? Turns out that the air is moved through the bird much like a bellows for a fire. These air bags between the muscles, as the bird flies, as it walks, it's, it's moving the air. The hummingbird is a marvel of agility and grace. The smallest birds, they take their name from the humming sound made by their rapid wing beats. Darting from flower to flower, the hummer poises in midair. He has come to sip sweet nectar. The hummingbird has been wonderfully designed to do this. God gave it a small body to move with ease about the flowers. A long, needle-like bill to probe deeply into the flower cup. And a specialized tongue ideal for extracting nectar. God also gave it remarkably strong wings and a sturdy breastbone which enable the bird to stop in mid-air and even fly backwards and sideways with ease. Of course, all the hummingbird's features, long bill, special tongue, unique rapid wing beat, would have to work together from the beginning in order for it to be able to gather its energy food and thereby survive. Though the wings of most birds bend at the shoulder, elbow, and wrist, the hummingbird chiefly uses the shoulder. Like a helicopter, it can rise directly upward. The Creator's design, however, makes it possible to swivel in all directions, is much more efficient and far more agile than any man-made flying machine. The Hummer's capabilities are phenomenal. When hovering, his wings beat 50 times a second. When speeding straight away, up to 80 times. Its heart beats 21 times in the same second. These tiny little birds have a metabolic rate that just is almost unimaginable. Their heartbeat is so fast it gets into the range of audible sound. Uh, you think of these little hummers that fly, they, they migrate over hundreds of miles. The reserve food to make this trip, uh, an error of uh, hundreds of a gram <laughs> in nutrients could mean not making the trip. Uh, birds alone would be absolute compelling evidence for a marvelous creator. Now, do you realize how much those birds are worth? Biblically, they sell 
two for one cent or five for two cents, depending on which gospel you read, which says, you know, even back then you could buy in bulk for cheaper. Uh, they, they had Costco back then, uh, five for two cents or two for one cents. If you can put it back on my PowerPoint, uh, there we go. Yeah, there's two times that Jesus refers to the actual monetary value of these birds that he has gone into great detail to design. And he's like, two of these sell for a penny. And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of God. You know, I used to work in Newport Beach and uh, we were leading uh, the, the singles in Long Beach many years ago. And so we lived in Long Beach and I uh, lived there for about eight years and I was commuting back. And sometimes when the 405 is rough, you just sort of jump off. And I was taking uh, PCH. Have you ever done that? PCH from Orange County all the way up by Bolsa Chica and everything. And so there's a lot of birds around that area. And, you know, they, they sort of fly by your car, but they never quite, they always know. Well, one of them sort of miscalculated. And I was driving about 50 miles an hour right by Bolsa Chica, and this little pigeon just comes flying down, diving down, and just boom, right on the grill of my car. And sort of, you know, bird juice flies everywhere on my windshield. If that happens, don't turn your windshield wipers on, because that is not, it's not a very viscous solution that, that lands on your windshield. But when you think about it, that was God's will (laughs) for me to take that bird's life and try to get it out of the grill of my car when I got back. Or whether or not it was God's will, it would not have done that apart from the will of God. God was involved in that decision that day with that bird. And, And we struggle with do I matter to God? The, the problem we, why we struggle is we're so selfish. We think about ourselves so much. The, the real question, honestly, is does God matter to you? The question is not do you matter to God? You, yes, I want you to feel that God. Yeah, you need that. You need that. But if God can't get it through to you because of your selfishness, the the real question is, does God matter to you? What is your personal conviction about your time with God? Not, not, how, when's the last time somebody asked you and how, you know, have you set up a time and you probably need to, how much time are you, what is your personal conviction about getting up and spending time with God? You know, my wife realized, you know, with three kids and she just decided it's going to be about 4.45 for me if I need to get up and spend the time I need with God and have quiet in the house. And, you know, I try to honor that by just giving her the quiet she needs. I don't need to be in her way at that time. So I, you know, I, I try to do my best to stay in bed a little longer just to give her that time. That's, I feel like it's the least I could do. It really is the least I could do. And what's amazing is my daughter, who's a freshman, you know, just decided, you know, her life is, it's crazy in high school these days with the workload. It's, she just decided, it's, for me, it's going to have to be about 545. As a freshman in high school, as a young disciple, 
to just get up and spend time with God. And I just think, wow, does, does the reason why you may not feel like you matter is because God really has stopped mattering to you in just your personal times with Him and your enjoyment of your relationship with God. Amen? That's where we, I think we've got to grow. We've got to make a decision to have a personal conviction that this will be a year where God matters to you. Amen? What about you belong here? Yeah, you can clap for that. God's awesome. You belong here. What is belong? Well, there's, there's two definitions that I want to talk about. One is a, is a thing. Like this podium is in the right position. This podium belongs here. Right. Uh, But there's also of a person to be suited in a specific place or an environment. Right. To fit in, to have a rightful place, to have a home. And I think there's two aspects of us really belonging here that I think we need to understand. One, yes, you are in the right place. Two, you fit in and you're suited to this environment. And so let's look at a couple scriptures on that. First, Peter two, nine uh, through through twelve. But I've. Kind of go read 11 and 12 on your own. I've got 9 and 10 up here. It says, and we know this passage um, from the light and darkness study. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so this uh, word belonging, uh, in, in the Greek, um, if you can read Greek, I, I added that for you. Paraposis. Uh, and that definition is, it, it's, it's a little bit different than belonging necessarily. That's how the NIV translated it. But what it really means is God acquired you. God went out and made you His possession. He obtained you. And so you might think, well, you know, I'm in the church because somebody reached out to me, studied the Bible with me, I made a decision to make Jesus Lord and and follow Him. I've committed my life to Him. I've been faithful for X number of years now. And, you know, those are all true statements, but they're not an accurate picture of why you're here. You are here because God acquired you. God sought you out to be His possession. And there's a big difference in that, right? Did you participate in that? Yes. But God went to search for you. See, when we were in the darkness, we were free agents, right? We were like LeBron James taking our talents to South Beach or wherever we wanted to go. Um... Only, uh, we weren't holding out for millions of dollars. We were actually selling ourselves for very, very cheap when we were in the darkness. We were taking our talents to the club to get hammered. We were taking our talents into worldly relationships, into moving in together, or even one-night stands. We were taking our talents to some dark places of addictive behavior and destructive patterns. We were not in our prime as LeBron was or maybe still is. We were sort of washed up. And yet God acquired us. God paid dearly for our 
writes. And now we are members of his team. We belong to him. We represent him all the time. Right? You know when some knucklehead player gets on Twitter and says something stupid, it's like the whole university is like, okay, uh, let me get our spokesperson and our coach. and our, yeah. Why? Because that idiot represents everybody on the team. You guys represent God and the body of Christ, and you do it all the time. Tell you what, you also represent Him when you're online and when you post stuff and when you guys post pictures and posts and retweets and things like that. Some of you guys post racist stuff, you post lewd stuff, inappropriate things, and you God's up there going, okay, well, I know, but... They, they, they. Guys, you are disciples of Christ. He acquired your rights. You represent Him. So we got to be spiritual, even in the presence of, you know, our 746 friends. <laughs> you represent God. He acquired you. Secondly, there's, a, there's another part of belonging that I think it's important for us to see, and that's Romans 12, 4 through 5. This is, a, this is different. This is like the other one definition. It says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What's interesting is that's actually not the way the Greek is worded. The NASB is more of a uh, transliteration from Greek to English. And the word belong is actually not in there at all. This is actually the way this verse was worded in the Greek, transliterated to English. It says, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And what's different about this is that I did not acquire you. I don't own you. <laughs> that is God. You are His possession. I didn't choose you. You didn't choose me. I didn't call you out. I didn't bring you from the darkness to the light. Those were all God's decisions. So that now that we're here, this is a different kind of belonging. This is more of us saying, hey, I am an individual with different gifts and talents and individuality, but I am going to recognize that we make collectively a pretty amazing body of Christ when we give our individuality and our individual gifts and talents to better the body of Christ. Do you see the difference? One is about God who owns you. The other is us willingly giving our gifts and talents to the body of Christ. And it's different because I think there's become a lot of individuality in our fellowship. And what I mean is, you know, in a sense, even as I, as I was preparing this lesson, it didn't dawn on me that all the points are about you. And yet, this whole Christian life is not about you at all. <laughs> you matter. You belong here. Don't leave, please. Don't go to another region. Please stay, you know. Uh, you, you're important. You, you, you. Woo, I. You know, and, and it really gets gross after a while how much we care about you and how much we don't care about one another sometimes. 
and I, and I don't know if I'm wording this right or not, but I think for a while we didn't care what you thought. Now we're like, you know, God, how many more surveys? All right, you know, uh, and I love that. And we want to hear from you. We want to get your input. We want to make sure you feel heard and validated and important and you matter. And But at the same time, guys, there's Satan is in that. Satan is in there saying, hey, if this doesn't go my way, if they don't take my comment, we'll see whether I donate my time, individuality, efforts to make this thing great. And so I think there's a slippery slope there where I'm I'm all for the new, you know, uh, the sense of team and, and leadership and buy in that I know as leaders. And now I've been back in the ministry for a couple of years. I know we need buy in. And I was there, you know, for 10 years working my job as a structural engineer, just examining every program and workshop and wondering, does anybody know the NFL schedule? For the love of God, the Broncos are playing and we're the, the, the Steelers and we're having a workshop. Really? I mean, I was that guy for years. That might be the only reason I went back into the ministry was to change the schedules around the Bronco games. I mean, if no one else was going to do it, <laughs> I'm watching at 140, baby. TV's on at the Mead House if you want to come. You have to ask, though, if you can get out of your workshop. But all I'm saying... is I think we've lost a little bit of the, the collectiveness that we are better all together than we are individually. And I th- I, it dawned on me as well, Ryan Weekly, our teen leader uh, and youth and family minister, did a lesson about Joshua and his people. It was like they walked around the city for six days once. And then the, sixth day, or the seventh day they walked around it six times, then again, and then shouted. And I, I thought, you know, how would that go in our church? Like, how far out would we have to make that announcement? Like, months in advance. All right, so you guys know that in March, right, we're going to do this marching thing, right? And March 1st, we're going to go one lap around and make sure you check with and get time. And, you know, and we really are hoping for most of us to be... Do you know what I mean? I wonder, did Joshua have to announce it? I mean, is the PowerPoint and everything in line for them to march? Or did Joshua say, hey, guys, we're marching around the city. I don't know why, but God said it. Let's go. And we don't know, obviously, where Coastal is going in terms of the leadership is changing. There's, there's certainly going to be differences this year than in the previous years. That we all know. But, guys, is our heart thinking, listen, I'm part of something that's like dozens and dozens and hundreds of singles strong, and yet my efforts here are appreciated, and and my individuality, I need to leave a little bit of that at the door to make this group stronger, to make this group radiant, to make this group better. And if if some of my individual, if I'm going to have to leave some of that at the door and what I think, is maybe not going to win the day, am I still willing to belong here and to individually be a member of this body? Does that make sense? This is not a scolding. This is not... I'm with you, you know. I'm a guy that Kevin probably tried to get buy-in from for 10 years. And I was a cantankerous person to try to get buy-in from. 
In fact, then when I told him I wanted to go into the ministry, it took him two years to believe me. <laughs> it's like, you? So, he didn't know about the Bronco thing, but. All right, let's move on. What does the body of Christ mean to you? What is your personal conviction about the body of Christ? To close this point, midweeks, coming, you being a part of it, you adding, the value, the, the gifts that you add. A great example of this is New Year's Eve. Do you guys realize, like, some of you guys tell me good job on that. They don't even ask me to come to meetings when they plan this thing. This is these crazy guys. This is the Obsessive Compulsive Edge Ministry. That's what OC Edge stands for. These guys meet, plan, they get it done. I showed up on Monday just to see what they needed and ended up building a castle for three days. Uh, that's the first, my first involvement in this process was two, three days prior to. They've got it. They've, this is an example of just guys that cook, clean, hang up, move the chairs. They just do so much. It took about probably 40 or 50 volunteers from Orange County to, to pull that off. And guess who's planning it this next year? You guys are. So you get to see the joy of, of what that is. And you know what? The reason these guys do it is just to watch people come in and just smile and enjoy it. That To them, it's like three months of work is worth just you guys showing up and having fun. And so that's what it takes to kind of lay down a little bit of that individuality for the body of Christ to be radiant. And then let's, let's close out with the mission of Christ. You are essential. Do not, does not God, right? He's the, uh, he is the potter. Does he not have the right to make out of some lump of clay? And this, again, in, in the day and age where we're so concerned about our self-esteem, it's important to read scriptures like this and know that you are a lump of clay. If that helps you <laughs> emotionally, like that God considers me. A, and if you look at prenatal pictures, that's, yeah, you were just a lump, a sort of blob that God created. And he has the right to make some lumps into common use and some into noble purposes. That's a pretty interesting what if scenario because it appears to me that God has filled the world with millions and millions and millions of people that live pretty common lives. And the objects of his mercy whom he has set apart for noble purposes are very few. And that's the way nobility works, right? We wouldn't care about, you know, prince whoever and, you know, what are their names? The royal family, they came over here, went to New York, you know. If everybody were royal and noble, who cares? And yet God says there are so many objects prepared for common use so that the objects of his mercy and his glory and his riches might fully understand that they've been set aside for something very special, something very noble. Another uh, time when I worked in Long Beach, um, they were filming Speed. And I worked at the Hilton Hotel right at the 710 and Ocean right there. And, and even though that's not a picture of the Vincent Thomas Bridge, it's the closest one I could find to show what it looked like for about a week. About a week, they have extras. Uh, these are people with no life that 
get paid $5 a day and think that they are going to be in show business one day. They get a sack lunch and they sit there for days and days and days and days and days. And then these guys show up for five minutes and make millions and millions of dollars. And he can't even act. Uh, But they're the star of the show. These guys are just the extras. And what Romans 9 is saying is, guys, you're Keanu and Sandra. You are royalty. God has set you apart for noble purposes. You're not the $5 a day people. But most of us go through life feeling like $5 a day creations. We don't feel like no, no nobility. We don't feel like royalty because we haven't really been about our noble purpose. And the Bible says that if you cleanse yourself from the things that make you common, then God will use you for noble purposes. And that's really what it takes is us being willing. You know, Jason works at Verizon. That's just he's a character actor. He's doing a good job. During the day, he plays a tech at Verizon. He, he wears the, uh, uh, the, the outfit, and he wears the uniform, and he knows the lingo and the jargon. He's really studied his character in depth. But that's not what defines Jason. That is his common purpose. What makes him nobility and royalty to God is the purpose that we have to share our faith with the lost. So, guys, let's not be common this year. Whatever you do in your common life, do it and do it excellently. Be a character actor. Get fully engrossed. If you work drive-through, I mean, that is your character and do it and and, and nail it. Do get the Oscar at that job and then you will get a better role in a better movie and make more money in a primetime feature. So do the things that God has called you, your common tasks, do them well But know this, you are set apart not just for that common task, but for noble purposes. Amen? What does the mission of Christ mean to you? What is your personal conviction about just sharing your faith and reaching out and seeking and saving the lost? So, it's not all about you. It's about, does God matter to you? Does the body of Christ matter to you? And do do the lost matter to you? I think it's really... Uh, the, the you that I, I'm, I'm reading in this is you all, right? And sometimes the Bible, when it translates it you, is actually plural, you all. Like Satan, Satan, or uh, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He didn't say you, Simon. He said you all. That's a you plural, meaning all the apostles Satan wanted after. So sometimes you in the Bible means you all. So when you read this, you all, <laughs> Y'all matter to God. Y'all belong here, and y'all are essential, all right, to the mission of Christ. Amen. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.